0: So here we are in our uh, summer in the Psalms. And as I have uh, previously said we're in in some ways we're going through these Psalms somewhat randomly but not really because we're uh, seeking the Lord for for direction, you know, and and for guidance, you know, as we go through. So we've done the first Psalm, uh, last week we looked at the 23rd Psalm and as I was kind of just looking at the Psalms and wondering, you know, where, where the Lord would have us to land today, it, it just was clear to me that Psalm 46 was the place. And I think it's a very appropriate place for us to be considering the fact that we're living in a world that, that seems to be melting down in many ways right before our eyes. So this Psalm obviously addresses that. It speaks very clearly to that. And so as we look at it today, I think we'll find that there is immediate application for uh, us, for the church collectively, and and also undoubtedly for many uh, lives personally. The Bible teaches that because we live in a sin-cursed world, nothing is ultimately secure, stable, or permanent. Nothing is ultimately secure, stable, or permanent. Everything there is will at some time be shaken to its core. And that's really what is being described in the second and third verse of this 46 Psalm. Let me read those verses again and though the mountains be removed, or or though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. So this is poetic language that is being used to describe uh, just a a total upheaval of life. Uh, Charles Spurgeon in his Treasury of David, which was his uh, comments on the various Psalms, he wrote this concerning these two verses. He said, "'These words set forth the most terrible commotions within the range of imagination and include the overthrow of dynasties, the destruction of nations, the ruin of families, the persecutions of the church, the reign of heresy, and whatever else may at any time try the faith of believers.'" I think Spurgeon hit onto something because that, that really is what is being described here. Just, just a total upheaval of all that we would uh, trust in or all that we would see as uh, the, those things that, that bring us stability and, and security. It, it is a breakdown of all of those things. Since we all will at some time or another find ourselves in the midst of either social upheaval or personal upheaval, where it seems that the very earth under our feet is being uh, shaken completely, Even, even though we might find ourselves in that kind of a place. The word here in this psalm is we're not to lose heart over that, and it 's to the truths that we find in this forty six psalm that we need to fix our uh, focus on when we find that we might be in a place like that, whether it 's in, in a larger context uh, socially or our own personal lives and so there there are basically three things in this psalm that I want to have us consider today. And the first one is the opening statement of the psalm reminding us of this very important reality. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. This word is to God's people. And of course, as God's people we're not exempted from trouble, are we? We're going to go through difficulties. We're going to go through hardship. We're going to, in many cases, we're going to experience um, very trying circumstances. But what we need to remember is that in the midst of all of that, we have God as our refuge and our strength. So the description, like I said, in verses two and three is uh, the description of everything kind of melting down. And when everything melts down, what are you going to trust in? What, what will then be your refuge? Where will you find strength? Well, for the believer, God is our refuge and strength. And he is a very present help in a time of trouble. God is a present help in the time of trouble. And and listen, those who are in trouble and call out to him, they are the ones who know this the best. Sometimes when you say something like, well, you know, God is a very present help in time of trouble, people respond and say, okay, well, where was God when this thing happened or when that thing happened? But it's interesting that it's quite often, it's, it's the, the onlooker who's saying that while the person who's experienced the tragedy is testifying, yes, God is a very present help in time of trouble. You know, it's an interesting fact that many people come to Christ when the, the biggest crisis ever hits their lives. Other people are standing, standing like i said at a distance looking on saying how could god allow this and where was god when this happened and the person right in the midst of it is saying oh i called out to the lord and he met me and he saved me and he delivered me and he gave me hope and that's the truth of the matter because god is a very present help in the time of need now uh, the the other thing is that of course until we find ourselves in trouble often we're not looking for God's help. It's when we find ourselves in circumstances that are beyond us, that's when people often will then begin to look to the Lord. You know, as we just prayed for, and as I mentioned, the situation in France is very interesting. In what the past, uh, maybe not even two years, they've had three Very serious uh, terrorist attacks. And you know, historically, France has been, for the past couple hundred years since the French Revolution, very much committed to a uh, secularist idea of life and uh, very much downplaying the role of religion, especially the Christian faith in the country. It's been very uh, much committed to humanistic ideology. But you know, right now, many French people are asking serious questions about what in the world is going on. Many French people right now are beginning to consider, maybe for the first time, that perhaps there's an answer uh, found in God. And so that's why we want to keep praying for our friends there in Nice and the other believers throughout the nation. I, I've talked to several friends in the country, um, in Paris with the, the attacks that have happened there. Uh, friends that have been ministering in, in France for decades with little to no progress are saying that there's a completely different attitude among the French people right now. And I would imagine that this latest situation is, is going to increase that. Because it's when, when tragedy strikes, this is when, when people begin to look beyond themselves or they begin to look beyond uh, the, the government or whatever other structure they, they've been trusting in. God is our strength and a very present help in the time of need. This, this word, a, a very present help, it, the, the picture here is one of, um, the, the idea is that God remains always at his post. And I like that. He never vacates his post. There's never a time when a person is in crisis that they're going to call out to God and find that, oh, God's not there. He's not available. No, he's a very present help in the time of trouble. He never vacates his post. He's always there. And since that's the case, the psalmist says, therefore, we will not fear we will not fear. Even though we're living perhaps in a time when everything that that we have trusted in, everything that has made us secure and brought us uh, some sort of stability, even though that might be breaking down, we will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength. There's a big temptation when things start falling apart around us, whether it's in our own personal lives or whether it's you know, beyond us, there's, there's a big temptation toward fear at these times, isn't there? There's a big temptation toward uh, anxiety when we consider these things. I know that I struggle at times with that. I'm not so much worried about myself, but I have grandchildren and I think about them. And I think about the world that they're living in. I think about the potential world that they're inheriting. And I think, oh, Lord. And I, I find that there's a, there's a temptation toward fear over that. And so, like anybody else, I have to come back and I have to remember these great truths. God is our refuge and our strength. And so we will not be afraid. We will not fear because that is the case. And not only do we not fear, but verses four and five tell us that even in the midst of these things, we can experience gladness and we can be refreshed by the presence of the Lord and we can be filled up from his river of grace. Look at verse four, there is a river. Now notice, this is following on the, the tales of the description of the of the meltdown of, of society. So this is what's happening. The, the, the earth is removed. The mountains are carried into the midst of the sea. But simultaneously, there is a river. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Now, the the psalm itself is speaking ultimately of what's gonna happen at the end of time and how God's going to overthrow the kingdoms of this world. He's gonna bring war to an end permanently. He's gonna set up his kingdom. So the, the, the final context of the psalm is the, the return of Christ and the setting up of the kingdom. But it also obviously has application throughout the long Centuries that would come between the writing of the psalm and the establishing of the kingdom. So we can find application in verses four and five for us today, the church, because the city of God, the tabernacle of the place of the Most High, and so forth, uh, you could say that this is a description of the church. The church is the place presently where the Spirit dwells, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High, tabernacle, temple, it's the same thing. We're told in the New Testament that we, the church, are the temple of the living God. So here's what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying that even though you have on the one hand this this total breakdown, in the midst of that, you can expect, we can expect as the people of God that there are going to be times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. In other words, we as the people of God should be able in the midst of even the most difficult things, we should be able to experience peace and joy, gladness. You see, if we if we as Christians are just like everybody else when we're faced with these things, then what you know what, what is the difference in, in believing or not believing? It's so important for us as believers to make sure we are not singing the same song that the world is singing. A, a song of of, of woe and, and a song of despair. But many times I think that as Christians, we fail to recognize that even though these things are happening, God has not vacated the throne. And if you think that I'm maybe inaccurate in making that statement, I just want to point you toward Facebook. Because when you go on Facebook and you read some of the things that Christians post, you wonder, do these people even have any faith in God at all? Because they're echoing the same things that you hear uh, from people in the world. And they're sometimes expressing the same fear, the same anxiety, and sometimes they're expressing the same types of anger. And you see, that's a, that's a breakdown for the church. That's not the, the testimony that the church is to have in the culture. The church is to be that place, even in the midst of a, of a social breakdown where people are glad, where there's still joy, there's still peace, there's still that sense of, of love and, and unity and all of those kinds of things. And listen, I think that we're living in a time when we, we have a, gr- a golden opportunity. The church has a golden opportunity right now to, to shine forth as something different than the world has to offer. This is our time. And so instead of lamenting the situation, as we often do, we need to realize, you know, there are certain things we don't have any control over anyway, but, but let's be who we are. Let's demonstrate to people that there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God and let let's demonstrate to people that God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. Let's show people that in the church there is actually a refuge from all of the insanity that's going on in the world. So you know there there needs to be a balance because of course as Christians we don't want to come off as being unconcerned. We don't want to come off as insensitive. We don't want to come off as trite or as just you know, uh, making light of things or, you know, well, that's not a big deal. Hey, you know, the Lord's coming back and, it, uh, you know, whatever uh, that's, that's the wrong attitude to have. Um, but the, it's also the wrong attitude to be depressed and to be despairing and to be hopeless. So we ought to be able to look at things with uh, genuine concern and sober-mindedness, but at the same time, we have confidence, we have peace. We have even joy because we know that in the midst of all of this, God is still at work. And so people who are outside in society and they're seeing society melt down around them that they can look across and say, wow, there, there's something over there that's different those people over there, they don't hate each other. Those people over there are not filled with anxiety. Those people over there are not despairing. Those people have unity. They have love. They, they've, they've had reconciliation, all of those kinds of things. You see God's intention for the, for the church has always been that it would be an alternative to the kingdoms of man, but we lose sight of that. And sometimes we get kind of sucked up into the whole thing where in some cases, you, it's hard to distinguish the church from the kingdoms of men. That's what happens when we get too closely aligned with, with political parties and things like that. We're just seen as just another facet of the problem rather than the solution. The truth of the matter is, whether it's for society at large or for the individual person who is in crisis there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. You see, that's who we ought to be. The people who are not moved. We're steadfast. We're confident. The Lord is at work. We're concerned. We're sober minded. We weep with those who weep. But at the same time, we don't go to that extreme where we embrace uh, a, a despairing attitude or uh, a hopelessness. We, we have confidence that God is working. And as I said, even though this is, is prophetic of, of the end, it has its application for the church today. Now, verse seven says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And verse 11 repeats that. And I want to come back to that in a moment, but that's an important thing that will tie everything together. But before we do that, verse 10 is a key verse here. And so verses eight, come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Again, this is what the Lord speaks to anyone, whether it's, again, a collective body of people or To an individual person who find themselves in the, in the midst of, of whatever kind of breakdown it is, God says, be still. In other words, the Lord is saying, calm down, relax. The Lord is saying, trust me, be still and know that I am God. You know, sometimes the problem is that we forget that God is God. And we forget that God is in control. And we forget that God will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. And guess what? He will do that in his own way, not in the way we think that he ought to. And this is where I have to confess that I have my biggest struggle at times. Because I want to be God for a day. Because I got all kinds of great plans about how we could fix all of these different things, whether they're my own personal (laughs) issues that need to be fixed, or things across the nation that need to be fixed, or international things that need to be fixed. And... It's easy to lose sight of the fact that God is God, that he is sovereign, that he's working all things according to the counsel of his will, that he knows what he's doing. But that's exactly what he's telling us in verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. And and the emphasis is on I am God, not you. We're not God, we're not in control. And we're not able to, to direct things the way that we think they should go. Only God is able to do that. Now, being still and knowing that he is God means that we have to sometimes stop and sit back and refocus, recalibrate. We've got to go back to God's word and get that perspective of the fact that he is on the throne. Now, listen, you will not have that perspective if you spend more time watching CNN than you spend reading God's word. Now, obviously, we all want to stay informed. We all want to know what's going on in the world. That's right, legitimate. we, We should do that. But I find that way too often, we as God's people are focusing on the wrong thing we're focusing on what's happening in the world or on what's not happening the way that we think it should be happening. The Lord is saying, look, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, God's saying, look, I'm God. Don't worry about it. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You need to just be still. You just need to calm down. Have you ever noticed when, you, when you're not trusting the Lord, you, you have a, a tendency to say and do things that later you think, oh my gosh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? You know, when we're not being still and knowing that he is God, we're probably messing things up. That's probably what we're doing. And we need to be careful in this day and age not to do that. There's so many things happening in the world. And sometimes I think as Christians, we're way too quick to speak and and far too slow to listen. And, and maybe sometimes it will be better to just withhold our opinion or just to, to give it some time before we weigh in on something, before we come in and we think that, well, we've got the answer and we know the solution. Because when we're doing that, I think we're, we're kind of forgetting that he is God. But we need to just be still. And being still really comes down to this. We need to trust God. We need to trust him. Now, like I said, I'm just like anybody else. I, I get impatient with things. I think that there's a certain way that things ought to go. I mean, quite honestly, I confess that um, the the prospect of, of having... Um, a different government in Turkey, one that was gone back to more of a a secular rather than a radical Islamist government, that to me seemed like that would would be the better way to go. I mean, who needs another caliphate, you know, uh, popping up in the world? Because that's pretty much what the president of Turkey wants to create. That's what ISIS is. ISIS is an attempted caliphate. So uh, now we, we've got another guy that wants to do a similar kind of a thing. So you're thinking, you think and you feel like, well, you know, that doesn't seem like a good plan forward. I wouldn't, you know, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have it go this way. But it's not up to me. And it's not up to you. And it's not up to any politician or, or the, uh, theorist, you know, geopolitical theorist or whatever. Uh, God is sovereign over these things. And so we need to remember that and you know I I thought I thought of this today because I was talking to a man earlier and he's uh asking me uh, uh, to pray for his daughters and two of them are going off to uh do graduate studies overseas and um you know one's going to Tel Aviv and the other's going to Spain. And, you know, he's all concerned that she's going to Spain and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like all of that. And I said, yeah, you know, our, our kids, you know, we just can't control them, can we? We're always trying to get them to go one way and they want to go somewhere else. I said, but you know, I'm learning, even though it's been a slow process, I'm learning that God, God has his ways. We think, oh no, they need to go here because they're going to be safer and it's going to be better. And they're going to have a better godly influence. And if they go here, it's going to be secular and it's going to be terrible and they're going to drift away from the Lord. And, you know, so we try to control the situation. And in the end, you know, God does something that we we didn't expect. And it reminded me as I was talking of him, it reminded me of the mother of St. Augustine. She was so longing for her son to come to faith in Jesus. He was a philosopher in his day and he was very committed to just, you know, personal gratification and all of these things. And he, she knew he just needed Jesus so desperately. And he came to her and he told her that he was moving to Rome. And she was like, Oh no, not Rome. That's like the worst place possible. Rome is just given over to idolatry and to debauchery and to all kinds of sin. And she was, Oh God, how could you let my son go to Rome? This is the worst plan ever but he went because like every other parent, you know, you can't control your adult children or your pre-adult children, (laughs) your children period at a certain point, right? So he went to Rome, the worst possible scenario as far as she was concerned. What happened in Rome? He came to faith in Christ and became one of the great thinkers and, and leaders in the history of the church. So the point is this, God's in control. Be still. If there, if there was a word to Augustine's mother, that would have been it. Be still and know that I am God. I'm working despite what you might think or what you might see. And so as we look at our circumstances, again, whether they're personal circumstances whether they're having to do with family issues or whatever these things might be, uh, going back to Spur- the quote from Spurgeon, you know, talking about the breakdown of uh, the destruction of nations and uh, even the persecutions of the church and so forth. You know, we, we think of things and you think, man, we we talked about. I think we prayed about last week the this law that is going to go into effect in Russia on the twentieth of July, that is essentially. Looking like it's going to shut down all evangelism and any kind of uh, Christianity outside of the four walls of your church. And we just think, Lord, you know, this just seems so wrong. How can this happen? But again, these are places where we have to just step back and be still and know that He is God. God is in control. And you know, in the 1940s, when uh, the communists came to power in China, and the first thing they did was they they uh, all Western influence was removed from the country. All of the missionaries uh, had to leave, and the missionaries that were leaving at the time they thought this is the the darkest day in all of history for for the Chinese people. This is the worst possible scenario that that we would be driven out of the country. We're not done. The gospel work is just barely you know, getting on its feet. And they just, they couldn't imagine that any good thing would come out of that. But, you know, now many, many years later, people realize that it was through that, that God raised up the the Chinese Christians. And they went from a number of about 600,000 Christians at the time of the communist revolution to over a hundred million christians today they never believed that that could happen and there were missionaries i've read the biographies there were missionaries that were so despondent they were so depressed they were so sure that somehow god had made a mistake how could he let this happen surely the church will never survive without us being there but not only did it survive, it, uh, it, it thrived in so many ways. So all of that to say, be still, know that he is God and God will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth and there's nothing that can stop that. And we just need to rest in that fact. And then as we come to the final verse, again, a repeat of verse seven, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And here we have two different perspectives on God. The one is he's the Lord of hosts. Now, the Lord of hosts, when we find that that, uh, terminology used in reference to God, what it's talking about is his sovereign rule over all things, his dominion over all of the the multitudes of things. So sometimes the host is referring to, uh, the host of heaven refers to the stars, the planets, the universe itself. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the, he's the ruler over all these things. Now, scientists tell us that there are be- between 300 to 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. 300 to 400 billion in one galaxy. They say there are billions of galaxies. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But the Bible says that God calls all the stars by name. They're all in submission to him. So when we read the Lord of hosts, that's what we're talking about His greatness. As a matter of fact, the song that we sang this morning, uh, At My Request, <laughs> The God of Angel Armies, that's the same idea. The armies of angels, that would be another place where host is, is used or in reference to the army of angels. So when we look at the Lord of hosts, we're talking about the one who's sovereign over all things. The Lord of hosts is with us. But then the God of Jacob. Jacob is just an individual, sinful, weak, helpless man but the Lord of hosts and the God of Jacob are the same person. So the glory is this. The one who rules the heavens, the God of angel armies, is a friend of mine. (laughs) Jacob could have written that song because that's what's being expressed in this text. And listen, you can take Jacob's name right out of there and you can put your name in there. The Lord of hosts is the God of Brian. I'll use my name because I like that. But you can put your name right there too. Because it's true. The Lord of hosts is your God. And you see, when we get that perspective, when we realize that, then all of these other things they just become obviously so obvious. <laughs> of course I'm gonna be still. If the Lord of hosts is, is my God, then I can be still. I can rest. I can be at peace. And I can live without the anxiety and the fear because the Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob, is our refuge and strength, and he's a very present help in the time of trouble. You see this was a thing that we see with the God of Jacob. He's a present help. He came down to help this one person. And that's the the glory and the the wonder of our God that he is at the same time the lord over all of the universe but he's also your friend, my friend. He's our personal savior. And that is the most comforting news that we could ever hear or embrace. The Lord of hosts is the God of Jacob. And may that be the thing that strengthens us as we continue to walk through life and as we continue to face the challenges that life inevitably brings, as we continue to live in a world that seems bent on its own destruction as we move closer and closer to the return of Christ. And we know from the scripture that things will get worse before they get better. That's the the way the, the Bible lays it out. But nevertheless, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Lord, we thank you that that is true. And we By faith, we lay hold of that today. And Lord, I pray for any here today who are in the middle of a personal crisis in their lives, in their family, maybe in their health, maybe in their um, finances, whatever it might be that just brings great anguish and, and grief and hardship and worry and all those things into a person's life. Lord, May we know today, personally, that you are with us. Lord, help us to not neglect uh, the river of grace that you have available to us. Help us to remember, Lord, that you are with us. Help us to be still. Help us to know that you are God. That's Lord, our prayer today. Lord, I pray for anyone that's with us today who has not yet surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Thank you, Lord, that you are God, that you will be exalted among the nations. You will be exalted in the earth. Lord, we long for that day. Our hearts just cry out, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But Lord, as we move toward that end, strengthen us. And may we truly be the salt of the earth and the light of the world as your people, as your church. And may many be drawn when they see a people whose God is the Lord. That's our prayer. Amen.